Whoa, you went no contact with your family? Like, you don't talk to them at all? Nope, because they're toxic as fuck. Are you also the villain for walking away from your toxic family in order to preserve your peace? Welcome to the Character Outs Podcast, where I am on a mission to normalize going no contact with toxic family. Welcome, all you terrible people. Let's talk about it. I am so happy to have Doug on the podcast and we connected. I was blessed enough to be on the Dimming the Gaslight podcast. Um, and if you guys don't know Mac with Dimming the Gaslight, he he's really shattering that glass ceiling of um, and breaking the societal norms of women abusing men. And it helps our platform because all mothers are not loving and gentle and all wives are not all victims. Sometimes it's the man who gets abused. And so Doug is going to tell you his compelling story. So thank you so much, Doug. And take it away. Thank you. I appreciate you so much. We had a lot of time today to talk um, about Mac. I found his podcast because when I was first starting to go through my healing not knowing why this was happening to me. Um, I joined a Facebook group uh, for men only. And I was in this Facebook group, Survivors of Narcissistic Women. And mm. I asked the question, like, is there a podcast out there for men? Because I don't, I don't see any. Yeah. And there was a member who said, hey, you need to check out Dimming the Gaslight. I mean, it was a brand new podcast. So I went on and I listened to it. And I ended up being episode 16. Amazing. Really early on. And then I just finished episode 84. Nice. I'm, I'm the first one that Mac has ever had back twice. Nice. And Mac and I are like brothers. We're very, we're extremely close. I owe a lot to him. I've helped him too. Um, but I owe a lot to him and my healing and, and he gets it. And so, yeah, he's amazing. And that's how I found you. Um, because mm -hmm. I listened to Mac's podcast. I've listened to all 84 episodes. And I listen every Monday when they come out and I heard your podcast. Yeah. And it's funny because we were, when I was driving out of, out of town today for work, I, I'm almost done with your podcast. <laughs> I listened to every episode. <laughs> so oh, it was funny because I'm listening to the episode and you texted me right as I was listening to it. I'm like, oh my God, that's crazy. He so, knows. Yeah, oh. Okay. So I'll get into my story, um, which I have to let you know. Um, I've also been married three times. So when the third time was not a charm, it was sort of meant for the both of us because we were both married three times. Yeah. And I, um, my first two wives were my, my, I have a daughter who's 26. She's a nurse, lives in Arizona. Amazing, amazing woman. My son is 18. Um, could not be more prouder of him. I'm going to get very emotional because he has a lot to do with my story with my next. Um, cause she treated him like complete shit. And, um, she was he's the son of my second wife how we met i'll get to that and so they are not narcissists uh, i'm i'm very amicable with my my um my daughter's mom she lives back east uh, i was very young i was we married when i was like 22 and it was yeah. just not a good marriage um so before i set this up i need to tell you my problem my problem is I'm a codependent. Um, yes, I'm an empath. Um, I'm a very good man. I have a very big heart. But my problem is that until this happened to me two and a half years ago, 
I was on the string of, I, I've had this very unhealthy desire to want to please women. And it's been, you know, three marriages back to back to back. I went from, and I'm going to use book names. These aren't real names. I went from Lucy to Paula to Tammy back to back to back without living on my own for more than six months. At the age of 50, when this all went down, I have to thank Tammy because she unknowingly made me take a hard look at myself, stop my pattern that I was in. And number one, I identified the pattern. Number two, I stopped the pattern. And now where do I go from here? I'm learning about healthy boundaries. I'm learning to love myself. I'm learning to, it's okay to be alone, go to the movies by yourself, go to dinner by yourself. It's okay to do that. So she, she unknowingly helped me break that cycle within me. So as I go through the story, you'll understand I, I was in a very unhealthy place too, you know, where I was just wanting to constantly please women. So, so after my divorce with Lucy, um, I met Paula and I have to tell you about Paula because my son is Jared again, not his real name, but I have to tell you about this briefly because I was raised Catholic um, and I wasn't active in the Catholic church, but I was raised Catholic uh, by a very good Catholic family. And um, I had moved to Southern California. I had met Paula after my divorce with Lucy. She was very young, 19. I was 27. She was Mormon. Um, she was not active in the Mormon church at the time. She was kind of in her rebellious stage. I certainly wasn't looking to be very religious at the time. Um, and we had a great time. We were dating, having a good time. I was fresh off my divorce with Lucy. My daughter, Hannah, was a year and a half, two years old. And um, so when we started dating about a year in, you know, Paula started getting serious about the Mormon church again. And she told me that she wanted, we start talking marriage. And she said, you know, she basically gave me an ultimatum and was like, look, I, I want to be sealed in the Mormon temple. And I want to marry you, but I'm going to be married in the sealed. I'm going to be sealed in the Mormon temple, whether it's with you or someone else. Oh. So here we go again. Doug not advocating for himself. Doug is just like, I was afraid of losing her. I was afraid of being alone. So I agreed to take the Mormon church classes and meet with the missionaries. And um, in, 90, in 1999, I was baptized a member of the Mormon church. And we were sealed in the Los Angeles temple. Um, and for the first few years of the marriage, I was very happy. I was living the Mormon lifestyle. There was no drinking, no smoking, no caffeine. But I'm you know what? Speaking of what's that? We have one. We drink on this podcast. I Cheers. Have I have <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> Go ahead. So, you know, it, it was good. And we were living very close to my daughter within a few miles, who was very young at the time. And I was at every event. I was very involved in my daughter's life. But then Paula wanted to move closer to her family, which was about 75 miles away. And, you know, we were still able to keep every other weekend visits and once a week dinner nights. But it was, a, it, you know, and once again, here we go, Doug. And inside, I'm thinking, no, I don't want to move away from my daughter. We're three miles away from her. I'm involved in everything. But my but Paula wanted to go near her family, very close Mormon family. And Paula was not a narcissist. No, no. Paula is the most amazing fucking woman on the planet. Let me just... Sorry. 
Because I'll get to that. Sorry. Please don't be sorry. I'm sorry that you are carrying. They're super close to this day. Thank God. And um, so anyway, um, so I, I made the decision. We moved 75 miles away, you know, but in L.A., from where we were, you know, 75 miles meant an hour to three hour drive to get to my daughter. It made it extremely difficult, um, but we did it. And I couldn't be involved as much as I wanted to be, but, you know, always paid my child support, always was involved as much as I could. And my son, Jared, was born. Um, I'm going to say some things on this podcast that I haven't shared on my other interviews. One of the reasons that, so Paula and I, um, she got pregnant and we lost our first child. So sorry. Nobody knows that. Um, oh. We named her Faith and that's her real name. We named her Faith and she was a stillborn and we were God. devastated and we had to bury her. And um, about a year and a half later, we had Jared. And we figured out what was the problem, and we the doctors fixed it, and we had Jared. After we had Jared, she had probably five or six five or six miscarriages. And now living in the Mormon bubble, living in the Mormon faith, women are brought up to be, um, you you stay at home, you provide for your family, you're a caregiver, you're a mother, um, and you have to have a lot of babies. Her sister has four kids. All of her cousins have four to six kids. And here we are with one going to church every Sunday. You know, Paula Paula went into a very deep depression. This was several years. So, okay, I'm getting ahead. So we moved 75 miles away and we started attending our Mormon church. The Mormon church, the, the congregation is called a ward. Uh, a ward is like the congregation. And it's geographically you live. So when you move to a new city or a new town, you're assigned to a ward. And it has boundaries. Signed. Yes, you're assigned to a ward, and it has a geographical boundary. And so we went to our assigned geographical ward. And, you know, we're, we're fun, we're young, we're hip, and we're meeting all the new people. And we met this couple. Um, we met a lot of people, but we met this couple, Jim and Tammy Swanson. And we became best friends with them. And um, and we were best friends with them for like four years. And we, we were friends with a lot of people, but we were best friends. Jim and I were best friends. Uh, Tammy and Paula were best friends. And um, we did everything together. And they had two young children. And, you know, after about four years, um, I'm not proud to say this at all because I don't advocate this, but Tammy and I had an affair. Listen, give yourself some grace, man. Okay. We've, we've all, we all have our shit. We've all been there. Just give yourself some grace, my friend. Thank you. Um, you, you didn't long, deserve anything. It was a long time ago, but what led up to this affair was, you know, Paula, Paula and I have had a lot of talks and Paula and I have cried together. Paula's remarried. Um, she's extremely happy in her remarriage. Her 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 husband is the stepfather to my son. Him and I get along. We're friends. He's so good to my son. They just adopted a little girl because because oh. more kids. They adopted a little girl. She's now five. 
They adopted her when she was three months old. She was a crack baby. And she is the sweetest. <laughs> she is the... We have this funny thing in my family where people go, hi, Doug. When they see me, hi, Doug. That's because of her. When she was like two years old, I'd walk in. I could walk into Paula's house. That's how close we are. And she'd be like, hi, Doug. <laughs> and so it sort of became this funny thing. So... Anyway, I know I'm going off track, but you're doing fine. It's it's captivating, so, honestly. Thank you. So Paula um, has adopted. She's now five years old, and my son is 18. How crazy is that? Oh, I feel that. I got 23 and four in the house. <laughs> well, not in the house. <laughs> right? My daughter's moved right? out, but at family events, I'm like, wow, what's happening? Mm-hmm. So, um, we were we were going to church. We became best friends with Jim and Tammy. You know, Tammy was a lot of fun. She's very attractive. Um, she's the life of the party. I'm the life of the party. Um, she has a very contagious laugh, a very contagious smile. Um, she has a wit about her. Um, she is like, you know, Bon Jovi, classic rock. She whips her hair around when she dances. And she's just very, she was very infectious. Yeah. You know, for four years, nothing inappropriate's going on. I, I found her attractive, but I was married to my wife and everything was fine. Jim and I are best friends and he seemed happy in his marriage and, you know, whatever. And then as time goes on and, and, and Paula is having miscarriage after miscarriage and she goes into this deep depression and she starts neglecting me and my son and the lot and everything. And I, and I tried to get her help. I tried to get her into counseling. I tried to do what I thought I could do in the end. It wasn't enough. And I still blame myself. Like I obviously wasn't strong enough for my faith. I obviously wasn't strong enough to, to, to stay in it. Paula is so wonderful. She, she just forgave me instantly and was like, you're not to, entirely to blame. She owns up for her own problems. It's really beautiful. Very stubborn. <laughs> She's very stubborn. She wouldn't listen to me. So um, now I, so I, I'm going to tell you a story that I didn't even think of. It's very, very important. Uh, and I have never told this story. I mean, there's going to be a lot of these stories that I'm going to tell you that I've never told on any podcast. One night while Paula and I were still married, um, she wakes me up out of bed. It's about 10 p.m. She wakes me up and says, hey, Tammy called me. Remember, they're best friends. Right. Tammy called me. Her and Jim are fighting. She's asked me to go over there and help her and dis- diffuse the situation. I'm like, <laughs> okay, whatever. At this point, nothing's going on between me and Tammy. I mean, this is a year or so before that. And right. I said, okay, whatever. I went back to sleep. She comes home. She doesn't tell me much other than it's all worked out. And I said, okay. Fast forward, and I'm just going to say this now because it's relevant. Fast forward to now. When I moved out with Paula, the affair was found out. I'm going to tell you two things. Paula looked at me and said, look, I'm not telling you this to get you to stay, but I just want you to be careful. She said, remember, I was Tammy's best friend. I know all of her deep and dark secrets. She has her claws in you. And I just don't want you to get hurt. That's, I mean, I cheated 
I'm this woman with her best friend, and this is what she's telling me. Now, come to find out, I hear this story, and I verified it with Jim. I heard this story during my divorce with Tammy, and I'm just going to tell you because it's relevant. I'm sitting on the back porch with Paula about two and a half years ago while all this shit's going down with Tammy. And she says, well, now I think I can, I'm finally ready to tell you that story. And I said, well, what happened? And she said, it's very bizarre. She goes, I show up at Jim and Tammy's house, and Jim answers the door in a, in a frenzy. And he says, Paula, you have to help me. Tammy's gone crazy, and I don't know what to do. And she said, okay, Jim. She goes, now, when she was on the phone with her, before she showed up, Tammy was screaming at Jim. Jim was screaming at Tammy. So they're going at it. It was like both sides. She was, right, it's very important to know. Because when she showed up, there was a different Tammy. Tammy was laying on the couch and, and Paula said it was so bizarre. It was like, she was, it's like, she acted like a three-year-old. She went into a childlike state. And when Jim walked down the hall past her, she actually put a pillow over her head and in a childlike voice said, I'm so sorry, Jim, please don't hurt me. Please don't hurt me. And she said, Jim and I looked at each other and it was, now, Jim is like me. He's a loud guy. He's got a loud bark. But I know that Jim is not capable of physically harming anyone, just like me. So I knew he was never capable of that. But um, Tammy, uh, or Paula had told me, she said, it was it was like she became a child. And she suddenly was this victim. And and anyway, that's important because I had never witnessed that. But But Paula had. And Paula hadn't told me that until 13 years later, 12 years later, when I'm I'm falling to a divorce. So the inevitable day happened. So we started the affair. God, I'm so off track. So sorry. So one thing I'll do with another, and Paula and I are, so Tammy, again, Tammy's this fun, energetic, charismatic person. I have no idea she's unhappy in her marriage to Jim. I'm unhappy in my marriage to Paula because of the depression and I can't seem to get through to her and I can't help her. And Paula or Tammy is now giving me the attention that Paula's not. Right. Right. And so it slowly turns into this affair that only lasted six weeks and (laughs) fucking crazy, dude. It's so psychotic. Everything is going to line up with narcissism. So we had this affair in this for the six weeks. We hadn't had sex. We had fooled around. We were doing stuff, but we had not had sex at this point. And we were in the car one day. And all of a sudden, Tammy looked at me. And she was suddenly in a big rush to, to divorce Jim. She suddenly was telling me, I'm in love with you. I want to spend the rest of my life with you. I need to divorce Jim. He's abusive. He scares me. He's going to hurt me. He's going to kill me. Now, deep down, I know Jim's not going to do anything to hurt her, but I'm believing this. And I looked at her and I said, I am not ready to leave Paula and Jared. And I didn't recognize it then, but I recognize it now. She got this look on her face. Her mask had come off and she was pissed for about two seconds. And then she put the mask back on and she, she looked back at me with that big smile and said, Oh no, no, it's okay. I totally understand. Okay. Now, nobody knew anything. 
we were, I, I hate to say this, but we were very good at, at, at keeping it a secret. The very next day, the very next day, ironically, her and Jim get into a huge fight. And they start screaming at each other. And I now know she she lit the match and set the fuse. And I talked to Jim about it. And he goes, oh, yeah, dude, I remember that day like it was yesterday. He said, now, now, Tammy and I had a pack, which is not a good pack to have, but you're in an affair. We never spoke on the phone when our spouses were home. And this day, Jim is home and he's walking down the hall and she's on the phone with me. I don't know. He's at home. He said, we looked right at each other, and she looked right at me dead in the eyes, and she said to me, okay, goodbye, I love you, and hung up while looking at him. And Jim said, who are you saying that I love you? Who, who are you telling I love you? And she goes, oh, oh I, I, I'm just talking to my brother. And he goes, that does not sound like an I love you that you would say to your brother. Well, that got his suspicions going. Her cell phone's on his company's cell phone plan. So long story short, he confronts her. The very next day, she blows everything up, which I now believe was on purpose, to get me to rescue the damsel in distress, right? Uh-huh. As if you can't see through that whole manipulative plot. Right. And so she calls me the next day that she's in fear for her life. Jim's going to hurt her. Well, what am I going to do? I mean, I'm, I'm the guy that's having the affair with her. There's not much I can do. We can't be found out. I'm worried. I'm scared. But at the same time, I, I'm trying to help from a distance. So Paula had worked about 45 minutes away in the old city we lived in and part-time. And we had a babysitter who is in the Mormon church. I had gone and picked Jared up. With the, he's, he's four years old at this time. Okay, so I picked him up at the babysitters. I had gotten off work. I had come home. I lay on the couch. He's in his crib. Paula's at work, 45 minutes away. And I hadn't heard from her in like 24 hours. And the phone rings and it's her. Now, for the brief moment, I'm relieved. And I said, hello. And the first thing she said to me was, he knows. And now... This is back in those days when you had four cordless receivers. Mm -hmm. Had a cordless receiver in his back pocket and she didn't know. And I said, um, she, she said, he knows. And I said, um, what? He didn't hear me say what? Because he didn't. That was the moment where he's picking up the phone. So he picks up the phone and he said, he screams at the top of his lungs. That's right. I know. Now, this is a moment in time. It's like, if I could freeze that moment, right? There's that moment where he doesn't know it's me. If I could go back and I could change it, I would. But there was this pause where he said, that's right, I know. But he doesn't know it's me. For all he knows, it's Santa Claus. He has no idea. And now I say to Jim, Jim, I'm so sorry. I don't know what to say. <laughs> and he screams at the top of his lungs, Doug fucking Buggle. She had no reaction. No reaction. He hung up the phone. And in my brain, I'm thinking, 
my life is over. I've just wrecked two families. What the hell was I thinking? What am I going to do? And the only thing I could think to do was get my son and get the hell out of there because I thought he was coming to my house. He hangs up the phone and Tammy said nothing to me. I hung up the phone. You did what, what you were supposed to do for her. Right. I'm telling you right now, I don't even remember my feet hitting the ground. I grabbed my son. All I could do was, I didn't care about me. I can handle Jim if I had to. I, I cared about my son. I rushed him back over to the neighbors who lived about a half a mile away. And I banged on her door and she answered the door and she was like, Oh my God, what's wrong? And I, I and I'm, I'm, I'm incoherent. And I'm, I remember just saying over and over, my life is over. Everyone's going to hate me. My life is over. And she looked at me and she said, I don't hate you. And I said, I have to get to Paula. Can you watch Jared? And she said, get to your wife. I don't hate you. Handle your shit. And I said, okay. So I'm trying, I call Paula and I said, hey, I need to talk to you. And she's like, what's wrong? And I, she goes, is Jared okay? I'm like, he's fine, but I need to come and talk to you in person. She's like, okay. Well, Jim had gotten to her. Um, there was, a, there was a, a birthday party planned for Tammy later that month. And I, I, I have a side DJ business I've had for 25 years and I was going to DJ it, whatever. And, and, and Jim called, called Paula at work and he, all he said to her was the birthday party's canceled. And she said, she said, Jim, why what's wrong? And he said, ask your husband. And he hung up. So, um, so I get to her and I'm in person with her and I <laughs> stupid me thought that telling her I had an emotional affair with Tammy would be better than a physical one. We hadn't had sex yet, but we were physical. And when I told her that, I was ready for a blow across the face. I was ready for a punch in the gut. I mean, Tammy, Paula was a tough chick. She looked at me and all she said was, she, she looked at me and she paused and she just looked at me and said, have you had sex with her? And I said, no. She said, what have you done? And I said, we've, we've kissed and we've done other stuff, but we have not had sex. And I could see her stare off and she kind of paused and she looked back at me and she said, I forgive you. And I'm like, what? Not the answer I was expecting. And she said, I forgive you. I'm like, what do you mean you forgive me? She goes, we have a family. We have a ceiling in the temple. We have a marriage. She goes, my parents love you. I won't even tell you. I, I won't even tell them what happened. I, I don't want them. I don't want you to look bad with my family. We'll move away. We'll get counseling. We'll whatever. But now I'm, I'm, now I'm torn between two women who want me. And I'm just like, I, I don't know what to do. <sighs> Unfortunately, I'm sorry, sorry to say, I mean, I went, you know, I'm not so sorry to say it. I, I raised two amazing, I helped raise two amazing stepkids. I mean, but I, I ended up going with Tammy and, and this is where we're going to get into some red flags that I've never talked about before. You know, they, they talk about narcissism and they Hoover, you know, they Hoover, they come back at you. They want you. Well, since my divorce, she's gone no contact and there's never been any hoovering. But in the beginning, there was. Well, there was several times where she called. There was one time where she called me. I was ready to, I was moving out. I was, we were going through our divorce. She'd break up with me. And then she said, I can't do this. I can't break up my family. And I'm like, well, whatever. You do what you got to do. I'm still divorcing Paula and I'm getting my own place. And then there's excitement in her voice. Really? You're going to get your own place? And then she would just, she kept reeling me back in. She kept reeling me back in. 
so there was hoovering there in the beginning, even though there's really, there's been a couple of things that have been hoovering since, but nothing like it was in the beginning. So, so we, if you don't mind me interrupting, sure. unless, unless you want to finish a thought. No, there's a lot to tell you still. Yeah. So I just want to, I just want to pause right there. It's fascinating to me. You were literally at a fork in the road and here you are with a choice. And, you know, I, I, the narcissist is extremely captivating. You know, I call my ex-husbands, not my ex-husband, because that would be me. I call my husband's ex-wife, the enchantress. And she just, she can, she casts her little spell and throws this magic glitter in his face. He's like, yes. So. It's, it, and I also felt that way with my ex-boyfriend who was a narcissist. So tell me about, can you tell me and share with me some of the ways in which, because I know it wasn't just black and white. I know there had to be nights that you laid in bed and you're like, fuck, leave my family and Jared start this new life with this really fun person who's feeling something in me that I've never felt before. Holy fuck. What do I do? Number one, I'll tell you right now, it was the sex. Yep. Female. Isn't it always the sex. Female covert narcissist and probably male too. Hundred percent. Or I think it's I think it's the female covert narcissist gives the man the sex because they know that's what they need and want. Where mm-hmm. male male covert narcissists will sometimes withhold the sex. My that's or, exactly or, what mine did. Or they'll give you sex with a with something hanging over your head, mm-hmm. right? You know, throughout our marriage, that ended. Affection ended. Um, of course, because she, she knew that that's what fueled you and got you in, but in now end, she knows, so she's going to keep it away. And yes, you. and in the end, she uses it as a weapon to withhold it from me. You know, we didn't have sex for the last two years of my marriage. Fuck's sake. Right. And in the beginning, it's hypersexuality, love bombing. Um, you know, she she would call me her Superman she even bought floor mats for the old Tahoe that she got in her divorce of Jim. Um, she had two Tahoes. We're going to get to that. Uh, the old Tahoe was the one she got from the divorce from Jim. And she actually bought super, uh, super band floor mats for me for that car. And she called me the Superman. I, I could do no wrong. I mean, I was, you know, on a pedestal. She puts me on a pedestal. I'm the greatest husband in the world. Um, in public, she was so nice to me and sweet to me and complimentary. But at home, it was completely different. And so we, um, you know, there were some, some red flags that I see now. Um, like, you know, there was a, that when we lived in, so we lived in separate apartments during the six month waiting period. It happened very fast. There was. So you, where you got divorced, you had to wait for six months until you California. could pretty much start a relationship up with Tammy. Not even, we were together. You were together, so, just. But we were okay. both. So we were both excommunicated from the Mormon Church. Damn. Um, I hear to this day she she likes to pretend that she's still Mormon. She's not. Um, we were both excommunicated from the Mormon Church. Now excommunicated both, from the Mormon Church. Now, did all of your your friends? How did they respond to your choice? Okay, that's very that's very good. I'm so glad you asked that question because when we got married, I'm going to jump ahead. When we got married, <laughs> we needed a house to live in, and we rented a, ho- a beautiful house um, on the corner of a very busy street in a beautiful location 
directly across the street from the high school that she now works for, um, that her husband, her ex-husband Jim went to, that her kids went to. But not only that, right next door to the church building. And we ended up going back to the same ward. So if you can imagine, because she convinced me, and if anybody's having an affair and it's wrong and you, you, you know, you're going to move away. You're going to separate yourself from the ex. You're going to separate yourself. You want to start a new life, new church, new school, new whatever. No, 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 no. She made it very apparent that her kids needed to be in the same school, the same sports activities, the same church. So pretty much forced me and, and I agreed to it. We went back to the same freaking ward where all of our friends were. So now it goes from. Yeah, because you were all mutual friends because you were all best friends before any of this shit hit the fan. So now it's, so it goes from Doug and Paula Buggle and Jim and Tammy Swanson to suddenly to these poor people, it's now Doug and Tammy Buggle. Holy fuck. Right. And they're like, what the fuck? Like, we're supposed to accept this. And people are people. I mean, nobody's perfect. And I got to tell you that, that, that more than half of them hated us and rejected us and shunned us. But there were some that I'm still very good friends with to this day because people are people. I'm still friends with our bishop at the time, who was the one who had to discipline us, who went through all of this with us. He's Don in the book, not his real name. But I can get to him too, but he's and he's the most righteous man I know. And he was the bishop at the time. And there was another bishop and another bishop that, that are, I'm still friends with to this day because they all went through it with Tammy and Jim and they saw her the side of her. And they Damn. were like, I'm so sorry that this happened to you, but we're not surprised because from our experience with her and Jim and their divorce and trying to counsel them and the kids and trying to keep you guys separate at church. Because remember, every Sunday now, it's me and Tammy by ourselves, and then Jim and his wife with their kids, Tammy and his kids. And then the next Sunday, we flip-flop. And now it's me wow. and Tammy and Jim's kids with Jim sitting by himself with his wife three rows up. <laughs> A whole other fucked up Modern Family like series. All right. <laughs> you know, and then we got and then we got Sundays where the, my step, my ex stepdaughter, she's young and she's sick one Sunday and Jim refuses to let Tammy take care of her because it's his weekend. And so he's sitting in the car with her in the church parking lot and Tammy's freaking out. And Jim's like, I've got it handled. You know, for many years, obviously Jim hated me. I hated him. Um, he was common enemy number one. You know, and so I was the united front with Tammy against Jim, which I should not have been. So I don't know where we were, but you did the right. You did what you did at the time. You you were with your wife. I mean, now, you know, but, you know, we do and we, we make these choices and we do these things in the moment. And that's why I so believe, like, we we can look back on situations in life and we can learn from them when we can grow. But we can't dwell there. We can't dwell on the trauma and we can't really even have regrets because I, I heard a quote with this once that said, you know, at the at one time, I can't have regret because at one time, that was the right choice for me. So at, at one time, and for whatever, why ever the reason was, you needed to go through this for whatever fucking reason, you know, yes. and you can't, you can learn from it. We all can learn from it because we've all done shitty things. 
but you can't have regret because you wouldn't be the man that you are right now. And maybe you, you, this is going, you wouldn't have the depth of conversations perhaps with your kids or your son, you know, had you not lived through this. And and the whole thing, I feel like the whole thing about breaking generational toxic generational cycles is we want to save our kids from, we can't come out and tell them because kids are going to be kids and make their own choices. Right. But we can at least impart some pearls of wisdom that go something like know yeah. how that feels kind of watch out for that. So, right. You know, at, at one time, Tammy was the right choice at one time. Yes, Jim was, was enemy number one, you know? And, and the reason why I thought Tammy was the right choice was because that leads me right into where I want to go because, you know, I had had an affair I was, I, we, we did a futile attempt at trying to come back into the church. And I was of the thinking of saving face. In my mind, you know, and I'm going to give Tammy credit for this. She, she actually said to me at one point, she said, how are we going to make a happy life after destroying two families? And, and I'll admit, I was convincing. I was now in the role of convincing her that we could make this work. I was the one being the salesman and trying to sell her on the fact that we could make this work because of my yeah. codependency. I was, I was trying to convince myself that I didn't want to be this guy who cheated on his wife and then dumped the girl that I was cheating with. I was trying yeah. to save face and I wanted to be liked by everybody. I wanted to be, I wanted to turn this horrible, horrible situation right. into something good, Redeem it. which I, I do believe that yeah. I, I did. And so we got married in October of 2009 and Jared was four. And, you know, I, I don't talk a lot about Hannah because my daughter, because, you know, she's 75 miles away, lived with her mom. She came over once in a while and, and, and Tammy didn't treat her the way she treated my son. She, Tammy has a problem with men. And, 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 you know, Tammy and ha- and Hannah's relationship were, was pretty normal. Come to find out years later that Hannah couldn't stand her. Uh, really? There mainly to protect her brother because she saw the way she treated my son and she saw the way she treated me, but I wouldn't listen to anybody. So anyway, so. It's a lot on I, her. Yes. And, and my daughter and I are extremely close. My son and I are extremely close. So, so. My my parents and I are extremely close. And my so my parents come over right before we get married. My parents come over from Arizona and they knew of her because remember we were all friends, but they had never really talked to her or gotten to know her. And and you know, they weren't happy with my decision. They they weren't happy with, with what I'd done, but they I was their son and they wanted to support me. They wanted to accept him. What, what wait, wait, what is that like? To fuck up and then still have your family be there? Anyways, carry on. <laughs> you don't understand. Like, while this affair was, while this, while I was in my own apartment and I was coming undone and I was hysterical and I was, I thought I wanted to kill myself, which I didn't. But I mean, I, I was really like at my wit's end. My mom and my sister came over and they were there by my side. And they they supported me and they calmed me down and they were there for me through, through, through all so my mom and dad come over and I had, we had now rented this house. We weren't married yet, but I was living there ahead of time. Cause we're, yeah, remember we're trying to get back into the church. So we're still trying to live separately and, and whatever. So right. I'm in the house a month before we're going to get married. And my, my parents come over and we have a barbecue with Tammy, just the four of us. You remember back to when we had lost my daughter, Paul and I lost our daughter. So 
my mom had come over during that time for for three to four weeks and was at Paula's bedside to help take care of her and do laundry and cook and clean while I was at work. While before we lost the baby because she had been sent home on bed rest. So we're sitting outside in the patio talking and Tammy looks at my mom and this is where her mask had come off. I don't recognize this. And I want to preface something. Up until the discard in 2021, I knew nothing of narcissism. I knew nothing of NPD. I knew nothing of nothing. We're going to ask you that. I'm going to repeat that as I go. So I am sitting That was one of my biggest questions. (laughs) I knew nothing. And we'll get there later on how I figured it all out. But so we're sitting there in the the backyard. and, And Tammy looks at my mom, very, very stoic and kind of mean, and says, you know, Paula is no longer his wife. I will be his wife now. And, and my, my mom looked at it for what it was. And my mom said, well, my mom's very nice. And my mom said, well, Tammy, that is true. However, you have to understand that Paula and I will always have a bond. I was here for three weeks when they lost faith. And I sat by her bedside and took care of her. And we will always have a bond. And then my mom, as she describes it, my mom said there was this flash. It was an instantaneous mask on. And she smiled and said, oh, of course you will. Of course you will. That's important to note because my parents recognized it. And my mom tells me now, she told me about a year or so ago, she said, your father and I walked down the driveway after we said goodbye to you. And your father looked at me and said, Doug, better be careful. She's a manipulator. And my mom said, I know she wears a false face. Those were their exact words. And I'm like, Mom, why the fuck didn't you tell me that? She goes, Doug, we couldn't talk to you. You wouldn't listen to anybody. You were so hell-bent on being with Tammy and rushing into this marriage to make it right. We tried to tell you in our own way, take some time for yourself. Be alone. Whether you divorce Paula or not, just take some time for yourself and figure things out with Tammy. Don't rush into another marriage. I wouldn't listen to anybody. And so I rushed into this marriage. My parents knew, saw right through her, and so did my sister. And so I, you know, there was a couple of things that happened before we got married. There was, I was in my apartment. This is a huge red flag. I was in my apartment. We and we used to fight about the stupidest shit. I don't remember yeah. what it was, but we would fight about the stupidest shit. And there was one time I remember I was standing in my kitchen. And I looked at her and I said, is this what it's going to be like to be married to you? And she flipped out, ran down the stairs, ran away, total over the top. And what did I do? I chased her. I apologized over and over and over and over. And and there was this pattern. And she form. knew right there. She knew. Yes. I got yes. him. And then there was another time when we were living separately. And these are the questions I haven't answered in the other podcast. There was another time where we were living separately, where we got into a fight about something. I don't even remember what it was. It's not important. But she wouldn't talk to me for days. And she wouldn't answer her phone. She was giving me the silent treatment. And I finally got worried about her. And by this time, she had given me a key to her apartment. I had given her a key to my apartment. I was worried about her. She hadn't been answering my calls or texts or whatever. So I went over to her apartment. I remember it was a Saturday morning. I didn't have my kids. I went over to her apartment and I, and I knocked on the door and she didn't answer. And I knocked again. She didn't answer. 
I finally used my key and I opened the door and she's sitting in the middle of the living room. No makeup, hair in a bun, pajamas, middle of the day, like paperwork scattered everywhere. And when I walked in the door, she looked back at me and she fucking flipped out on me. Started screaming and raging at me. Oh my God, how fucking dare you walk into my apartment without asking me? You get the fuck out. You And she just freaked out. I immediately shut the door and locked the door when I ran away and I, I got home and she didn't talk to me for like five or six days. And then, of course, you know, demanded my key back and all this different stuff. And again, none of these stories, I remember how they were forgiven, but they were forgiven. And we just seemed to move on. You and then there was, bond, baby. was that Trump? <laughs> right. She, she's building the trauma bond. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. Mm. And then there was a night. This is the last one. I had moved into the house ahead of time. She came and spent the night. We had had sex. It's important. I just, the reason I say that is because sex is control. Yeah. I fall asleep on her shoulder and she goes, she starts going through my phone. Now, this is the dead truth. As a man, I had watched porn 10 years before that. But since I had been a member of the church, since I was Mormon, I stopped watching porn. I wasn't watching porn anymore. And I was honest about that. And I, wasn't watching it. About two or three months before this, a friend of mine gave me a tip on a good restaurant. This was the flip phone days. This was, okay. the internet was brand new. I didn't right. know anything about it. And I remember my friend gave me this name of a restaurant. He misspelled it. I looked it up and it directed me to a porn site. And I remember calling Tammy and telling her about it and showing it to her. And we've had a big laugh about it. We're like, oh, my God, that's crazy. I think it was like Naughty America or something. And she was like, oh, my God, that's hilarious. I can't believe it did that. We ended up finding the restaurant. We ended up going. Four months later, I'm I'm laying on her shoulder. She's scrolling through my phone. She sees Naughty America. I don't know how to delete browser history. This was like fucking three months ago. So I wake up. She's gone. She's gone. I'm like, where the hell's Tammy? I go out to the kitchen. There's a note on the table chastising me for watching porn. And you're an evil person and you're horrible and you're watching porn. And I knew you were going to lie to me. And if you watch porn, I'm not going to be with you. And I'm calling her and like not answering the phone, not answering the phone, not answering the phone. Why why have a healthy conversation? Right. Exactly. Why why, why wake me up and ask me, what is this? So how fucking intrusive. Like. It's not okay to go through someone's fucking phone. Like, well, I you, think you I had given her. Me, I'll, I'll give you my phone. I'll sh- oh, here. Look at my phone. Well, I think phone. I did. But, like, I think I had given her my phone. I didn't because I didn't think it was a big deal. So she, w- I'll defend that. She wasn't going through my phone behind my back. I gave it to her because I think her phone had died or something or whatever, and she was looking at my phone. So I was groggy. It took me a while to figure it out. She wouldn't answer my calls. When I did figure it out. I called her, and this time I left the voicemail. It's like 2 a.m. And I'm like, look, I fucking told you this. You remember this. This is what happened, blah, 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 blah. Well, now she calls me back. Now she drives back to my house at 2 a.m. Now she comes back into bed with me, and what is the first thing she does? She pulls her clothes off and has sex with me. Now, look, as a man, I'm not complaining about having sex two times in one night. But now when I look at it, I go, what the fuck kind of response is that? Like, like, 
You know, it, that's just control. 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 And so those were the things that happened before we got married. I still went through with it. We get married. It wasn't even a little ceremony in the church office. And uh, we get married. And from the moment we got married, things changed. And I remember driving in that top. Things changed. Like, they were already pretty shitty. Thank you. Fuck. I know. But here's the difficult part for a man, and I can say this because I'm a fucking woman, right? The narcissistic woman can literally get away with fucking murder because society just says, oh, well, you know, a woman is jealous. Accepted. Well, you know, a woman can yell and just get out of control. It's her period. Accepted. Oh, you know, a woman is just dramatic and emotional. Accepted. So, so many narcissistic personality traits are just accepted and completely dismissed. And it really fogs your, must fog your mind as a man. Because it's like, if you call it out, like I said to Mac, oh, you could just be a dick. Oh, you're just a misogynist. Oh, you just aren't being sensitive enough. <laughs> like, fuck that. Like, fuck the narrative that's like, women can just treat men like shit. And no, but also, uh, like, it, 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 it shouldn't be okay. Because if a man did that to a woman, it would be a big fucking deal. You right. know, it would not be embraced. It wouldn't be dismissed as a man. Oh. He just has his boy period. Like, do we do we say that? Oh, he's just being emotional. Oh, oh, he just no. Men get no grace, and so that's why it's so difficult for for us who come from narcissistic mothers to be like, um, no, it it, it wasn't just she was in a bad mood. Oh, she just had her period. Oh, she was just being dramatic. No, it was it was hit after hit after hit after control. vindictive, insidious behavior that just gets hold of your soul, you know? Exactly. Right. And, and, oh my God, you've hit the nail on the head. And so when we got married, I remember the defining moment where, look, I loved her and I thought I was doing the right thing and I loved her kids. But I remember the first time we were driving in that Tahoe that with the Tahoe, Superman with the Superman mats. The the Tahoe that I had ridden in gym with for many years. You must have carried so much fucking guilt. No, oh, you don't even know the half of it. I remember the first time I drove in that Tahoe with her and her two kids, and I remember thinking, "What the fuck did I do?" Again, I loved her, but I was like, what the fuck did I just do? Where? And I remember thinking, where's Paula? Where's Jared? And I remember thinking it was like I took Jim out of the driver's seat and I put myself in the driver's seat. And here I am. And it's a vehicle, but it's symbolic because it's that vehicle. And she's sitting in the passenger side, just happy as a clam. And, and what I realize now is I was the vehicle to get her out of the marriage with Jim. Well, I was, was going to say, she, I yeah. was the new supply. I was the new supply for whatever reason. She had gotten bored with Jim. She had gotten angry with Jim. She had gotten, Jim was working lots of crazy, insane hours. He still does. 
but he he's he's a dedicated man and father and, and she just decided that i'm done with him and she moved on to her next victim and i, I so, would love to know if be, jim was not allowing the abuse if jim because that's what happens with the narcissist you know once you see through them <laughs> once you see their weapons and they can't control you anymore oh gonna move on right you know what's funny is that Jim was oblivious to this throughout his marriage. Just so fascinating because, and I, I know this. So when we were speaking today, just because we just met, I haven't had the opportunity to read your book in its entirety. And, and I asked you to send me your favorite chapter. Yeah. And it, it, it's a powerful, powerful chapter about redemption and yeah. your, yes. And your relationship with Jim and, that didn't come easy. I cannot imagine it did. And now hearing the backstory too, because don't forget, I kind of skipped, skipped forward a few chapters and then I'm reading about how amazing that Jim is and, you know, where you guys are right now. Yeah. And Jim and I and really are... how twisted probably your friendship was all because of. Tammy. So, so, so yeah. So for many years, Jim and I hated each other. Obviously he hated me because I was the man who in his eyes took his wife and children away. Um, he's an amazing. And it was interesting. So he didn't see that, that Tammy was a narcissist. Like he would have no. stayed. He was, he would have stayed. Interesting. He would have stayed. He was begging her to, to, to keep the, the really? marriage. Yes. So when you have these conversations with Jim and you throw out things like hoovering and narcissist and well, I'll, I'll, is I'll, he I'll, like, yeah, I kind of saw it. Or is he like, yeah, no, no that, that. Well, it was, it was all very eye opening for him. So we're okay. I still have so many more questions and so many more things I want to hear from you, but isn't it interesting how you hadn't even seen the depth of Tammy's narcissism and abuse yet that I really want to talk about the marriage, everything you've been through. And then when you got to the point where you're like, I, I, I can't do this yes. anymore. And there were good times mingled in with that. Yeah. And where the breadcrumbs and the trauma bond comes. Oh. Yeah. Okay. So how about we do this? I yes. would love to have a part two and talk about yeah. the marriage because I feel like it's important to know for people listening who may, may not, may just be learning about narcissism, you know, I, I would love for them to hear some of your stories about yes. the manipulation, the control, the love bombing, the, the discarding, the devalue, you know, because it's the mm -hmm. same abusive cycle that every narcissist uses. So, yes. um, ah, ah, I'm so happy we're going to a part two. Doug, thank you for being here, being so vulnerable, and thank you for sharing. Oh, just putting it all out there. I know it's not easy. It's it's not easy. So you, I just admire your strength so much. Thank you so much for being here, and I cannot wait to continue this conversation. Thank you. Me too.